Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Patriots Beat Podcast for the week of April 18th, 2016. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Longi, and we got a great show for you guys today. We have plenty of stuff to talk about. The 2016 schedule was released, so now we know when and where our games are taking place. So we'll talk about that. We'll run through the schedule and see what's going on there. Uh, we will also talk about the cutting of Dominique Easley, which I thought you know came as a bit of a surprise to me, but apparently... You know, from stories that have come out since, it is not so much of a surprise. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt was re-signed to a one-year deal. We'll, we'll break that down and talk about kind of what that means for the team, how it breaks down, things like that. And uh, we'll also talk about a couple of uh, draft draft prospects that I've kind of had my eye on looking at that, you know, would be good fits with the Patriots uh, if they were to fall to their draft position. So uh, we also have a great guest today. We have uh, Rich Hill the managing editor of patspulpit.com. Uh, he'll be joining us to talk about plenty of stuff. We had a, a great interview earlier today. So um, let's get right into it, guys. Um, the, the 2016 schedule, we'll start there. Uh, it was released on Thursday. We already knew who you know the Patriots were playing. We, we got the list of opponents back in January. For some reason, the NFL feels like they need to give you the list in January, and then they'll give you the dates and times whenever they see fit. So, it, excuse me, it came out on Thursday. We have the Arizona Cardinals on the road at Arizona to open the season on Sunday Night Football, September 11th, um, the 15-year anniversary of the September 11th, 2001 attacks, interestingly enough. Um, another interesting storyline for that game is Arizona Cardinals recently acquired Chandler Jones in a trade with the New England Patriots of those of you who remember um, so that will be an interesting game from that perspective the Arizona Cardinals are going to be a good team again this year you know that'll be a tough game to start the year on the road Sunday night football uh, week two the Patriots come back home and they host the Miami Dolphins in the you know that is generally you know Patriots will generally play the Dolphins in the first couple weeks of the seasons at home and then they you know they they almost always play them uh, in week 17, 16, 17 down in Miami. So uh, they've got the Miami Dolphins at home on Sunday, September 18th, and then they have a quick turnaround Thursday night football uh, against the Houston Texans. Now, um, for those of you, I'm not sure how many of you heard, but the NFL has decided that in, in addition to airing you know, Thursday night football games on CBS, NBC, the NFL Network, uh, they have also decided this year to stream the games live on Twitter. So the game on Thursday, September 22nd, will be shown on CBS, NFL Network, and Twitter. So I think that'll be kind of interesting. Um, I'm not really sure how they're going to figure that out, but, you know, maybe a different page. I know they own, you know, they've, they've got enough money, obviously, if they're going to be paying. They, they paid something, you know, close to, you know, what the not as much as what the networks paid because they can't advertise as much. But I, I, you know, was reading a couple articles and it said that Twitter paid a lot of money for these, for these games. Clearly, so it'll be interesting to see how they implement that. Anyway, back to uh, the schedule. If you go back now or uh, week four, they they will host. They have three straight home games: Miami, then they host Houston on Thursday night, and then Sunday, October second, they have the Buffalo Bills at home as well. So then week five, you travel to Cleveland to face the Browns. Then you got a tough stretch going into the break, I think. I think it'll be personally be a tough stretch. You have Sunday, uh, October 16th, you have the Cincinnati Bengals. Then you travel to Pittsburgh the next Sunday to take on the Steelers. 
And then Sunday, October 30th, you have the Buffalo Bills. Now, here's the kicker. You've got that week nine bye, which is huge. Now, you know, last year you had the week four bye, which was terrible. It was way too early. And, you know, the Patriots didn't they didn't necessarily suffer too much from it in, in terms of, you know, wins and losses because they still finished with a great record. They had a great end of the year. But, you know, the the fact that you get a you get a bye week literally directly in the middle of your season, you know, you play eight games and then you get a bye. That's pretty that's pretty great. Uh, I'm sorry, you play uh, nine games and you get a bye. Yeah, you play uh, eight games and then you get a bye. Sorry. So um, the bye week in week nine is huge because then, you know, you have a tough stretch. The second half of the schedule to me looks a lot tougher than the first half. Not, you know. You got some tough opponents. You have Cincinnati and Pittsburgh back to back. That'll be tough. Uh, as I said, Arizona to open the season. That'll be tough. Uh, but coming out of the bye, you have uh, you're hosting the Seattle Seahawks on the, on, a, on another Sunday night football game, uh, which will obviously be a tough game. You head out to the West Coast in, in Week Ten, and you go out and I'm sorry, Week Eleven, and you go out to San Francisco face the 49ers, who you know more than likely will be a mess. So that well, you know, won't be too tough of a game. The travel will be more of an issue because then the next week you come back to the East Coast and you have another Sunday night football game on the road against the New York Jets, which you know we all know is a tough game. You know, without the the road trip on the week back. So after that, Sunday, December fourth, come back home, host the Los Angeles Rams, and then the next week, September uh, Monday night, December twelfth, you have another primetime game. Uh, hosting the Baltimore Ravens. After that, week 15, you have the Denver Broncos on the road. Then you host the New York Jets on Christmas Eve, and then New Year's Day on the road against the Miami Dolphins. So, I mean, look, that's five primetime games. A couple of look, you have Seattle primetime, and then a week, and then New York primetime, and then a week, and then Baltimore primetime. So, that's a, a, a tough stretch right there in itself. And there are even games that I'm looking at. You know that they they flex games, you know, to into primetime spots if they're good games, whatever. I mean, look, that Cincinnati game or that Pittsburgh game could always get flexed into primetime as well. And then I can't see that Denver Broncos game not being in primetime. Week 15 at Denver. I know Peyton Manning's not there anymore, but still, I can't see that being... You know, the, the the Broncos and the Patriots have played each other in the playoffs like three out of the last five years, haven't they? I mean, maybe more than that. You th- That game is, I feel like, is going to end up in primetime. And I believe there is a limit. I'm not entirely positive on this, but I believe there's a limit on on what uh, how many primetime games a team can have. But look, they've already got five. I feel like one of those games, either Denver, Pittsburgh, or Cincinnati, one of those games will eventually be flexed into the primetime spot. So, I mean, it, it, it all in all, it looks like a pretty tough schedule. It looks like a schedule that, you know, is pretty evenly loaded on all fronts. I can't really see, you know, the places where the, the difference is so major that... Um, I don't know. I'm I'm seeing the the second half, as I mentioned, the second half is a little bit tougher. Seattle at New York, hosting the Baltimore Ravens, who, you know, despite what everyone says, they had a tough year last year. They were also decimated by injuries last year. So I think that they'll 
they'll have a bounce back year. They're going to have a high draft pick. You know, they always play the Patriots tough no matter what. Uh, I wouldn't overlook that game one bit. So that's a tough second half of the schedule. So, you know, you also have two trips to the West Coast. You have to travel to San Francisco and you have to travel to Denver. And then obviously that Miami game in, in the middle of the winter going down to the 80-degree weather of Miami, that is shown to be a very tough game for the Patriots. Now, w- whether it will count or not, you know, whether the Patriots will need to win a game in Week 17 for seeding purposes or whatever, um, that remains to be seen. But the schedule, look, I see the Patriots winning probably 12 or 13 games again, right? I mean, there are definitely there are definitely seven games. I counted out seven games that are potential losses that if you look at them and you think about it and you say, okay, this, 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 and this could happen and they could lose, I see seven games. Now, obviously, they won't lose all of these games, but I do think they'll lose you know, a few of these games. The game opening night at Arizona is no gimme. While I can't see the Patriots going 0-1 to start the season, that is a tough game in Arizona against a really good defense and a quarterback in Carson Palmer who is really good. And they've got deep threat wide receivers. They've got a lot of stuff going on there. So um, David Johnson, you know, emerged last year as a rookie running back free agent. He was great. So that'll be a tough game. Cincinnati and Pittsburgh back-to-back. Those will be tough. Cincinnati, I, I you know, I, I don't. I think the Patriots probably have their number at that point, at this point. But then the next week you have to travel to Pittsburgh. That's two very physical games back to back. I would not be shocked if the Patriots maybe dropped the Pittsburgh game. At you, you play Cincinnati, maybe you play a tough game. Then you have to travel to Pittsburgh. I see that could be a loss. Well, I the next one I you know I don't see Bill Belichick. He, he his record after the bye is so unbelievable that it's almost blasphemy blasphemous for me to say this. But you know that Seattle game coming out of the bye week, even though it's at home, that is going to be a tough win. So obviously, I already mentioned the New York Jets game on the road in New York Sunday Night Football. The Jets will be hyped up for that. That'll be a tough game as well. They, they've shown a lot of improvement over uh, with Todd Bowles. I mentioned Baltimore as well. That could be a very tough game. And then Denver, which has, you know, the best defense in the league. So there's seven games for you right there that I think the Patriots could potentially lose. Will they lose those games? No, probably not. I see them probably going 12-4. and four. Um, You know, if I had to pick, I'd say they'll probably lose to, like I said, Pittsburgh, uh, the Jets on the road. Uh, and then Baltimore and Denver, or maybe just Denver, and then they maybe drop one of these, you know, games that I'm not even looking at. Maybe they drop a game to Buffalo, maybe Miami. I can't see them losing to the the L.A. Rams or the San Francisco 49ers. I just can't. But you know, who knows? Crazier things have happened, right? So, you know, I see them winning, you know, 12 games again. I'm gonna say they'll, they'll more than likely go uh, 12 and four. Uh, in the 2016 season. So um, there's your schedule. 2016. The games begin, as I mentioned, um, for the Patriots at least, on sun- uh, Sunday night, September 11th. It'll be it'll be a great, a great season once again. We'll see what happens. The Patriots uh, are just making moves left and right. One move that kind of surprised me, caught me off guard, I think caught a lot of people off guard initially, um, 
was Dominique Easley was cut on Wednesday. Um, those of you who follow the team, Dominique Easley, you know, first round pick in 2014, 29th overall. Um, really, really talented player. Had a lot of injury problems in college, in the pros. Uh, he only played 22 games over his first two seasons. Played 11 games last year. Um, got hurt both years. So, look, you know, he fell on draft boards initially because of it. The, the, the kid, when, when he was drafted, a lot of people said, hey, he's a top 10, top 15 talent. But he just has the injury problems. So, at the time, you're thinking, well, maybe the maybe the Pats luck out and he just had some unlucky injuries and they get a great player late in the first round. Uh, it turns out that was not the case. Um, the stories are coming out now. Apparently, Easley was lazy. He felt he was entitled. A lot of things like that. He he wasn't working hard. Um, I don't know, man. It, it, it looks like it was just they had had enough of him. And... I guess it's it's not too surprising in the, the fact that we didn't hear anything about it because the Patriots are so closed mouth about everything uh, that you rarely know what's going on behind closed doors over there. But I really had, there was not even really inklings. At least I didn't hear them. Maybe they were, but I really didn't hear a lot of, you know, mainstream Patriots reporters reporting the fact that Dominique Easley was, you know, disgruntled or entitled or lazy and wasn't working hard and things like that. I never heard any of that. If I had, I wouldn't have been such a big fan of him because I thought, you know, I was really rooting for the guy. I thought that he was extremely talented. I thought he was going to be a big part of the team. He's an interior pass rusher, which is a, you know, a coveted spot. He's really talented. When he comes out on the field and he plays, he plays fantastic. And then, you know, he comes out and apparently he's lazy. So Belichick had enough and he cut him. He didn't even make it through his rookie contract. And... You know, the day he was cut on Wednesday, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, you know, why don't they, why don't they trade him for for you know like a late round pick, something like that? Why don't they trade him for anything? I mean, the 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 guy was a first round pick two years ago. Sure, he's had some injury problems, but someone will take him. You would think. And then you know you go through it's it's now Sunday, and. No one claimed him on waivers. There was no market for him. Maybe they couldn't trade him. So, I don't know, man. It, maybe maybe his issues are are more deep seated than anybody than anybody knew about. So who knows? Um, I did, like I said, I really liked what he brought uh, in terms of skill set, the interior pass rush, things like that. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm gonna ask Rich Hill about this in a, in a little bit, but I think the writing might have seemed to been on the wall. With, with this as well, I mean, Terrence Knighton was signed. He's a big body, you know, run stopper type, uh, body type. Then you also have, you know, guys like Alan Branch, guys like Malcolm Brown, who are big interior uh, defensive linemen. Maybe they're trying to beef up the line and do a better job against the run because they did get gashed in the run game a couple times last year. And, you know... Maybe if you get guys like I said, like Knighton, like Malcolm Brown, who will have a bigger role in the off uh, the defense this year, um, Allen Branch, guys like that who can take up space, and then you allow these guys to, you know, Collins, Hightower, Shea McClellan now, uh, to make plays behind them. I feel like that's the way to go. So maybe Dominic Easley, just by sheer fact that you know 
he just didn't have a spot. Maybe that's the case. And then they just said, well, we're just not going to deal with your attitude at this point because we have guys that can replace you. So, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, that's just me speculating, but maybe that's the case. I'm not sure. Um, it, as, as I said, it came to, as a surprise to me. Um, I had high hopes for the kid. I thought he was going to do well. And apparently not. So, yeah, what are you going to do, right? Like I said, they've got guys who can take his place. There's really, that's that's the bottom line in this business. Terrence Knighton is going to get a lot of the snaps. Allen Branch, Malcolm Brown, these they're going to get a lot of snaps. And not to mention you have guys like Chris Long, Jabal Sheard, Rob Ninkovich, guys who you could probably move around on the defensive line. You could even put, I feel like you could put Ninkovich inside at times because they did. I mean, they moved guys around on the defensive line. Belichick loves doing stuff like that. So, um, I don't know. We'll see. The defensive line, you know, it looks like it's kind of being rebuilt even though it was one of the strongest parts of the team last year. It, even, it, it still looks like it's being, you know, just tweaked and retooled and made to be a little more fortified maybe against the run. Um, other news this week, uh, LeGarrette Blunt was re-signed. Uh, One-year deal worth uh, $1 million. Nice even numbers there. Um, he got a $100,000 signing bonus, which is the only part of the deal that is fully guaranteed. Um, base salary of $760,000. Uh, he's got a couple of incentives. Um, $50,000 based on rushing yards um, and $950,000 uh, based on rushing yards and a Pro Bowl selection. So, I mean, he can get a full extra million dollars if he, you know, makes the Pro Bowl. Um, the roster bonus as well, $100,000. Um, but there's an interesting part of the the contract as well. Not, not only the fact that, you know, a lot of this is incentive-based, roster bonuses, things like that. So that means, you know, Blount might not even really make the team. We'll see, but he might not. And then another interesting part of this is it's what's called a split salary. Um, so I'm reading here, you know, Mike Reese of ESPN Boston. Um, he's he's just fantastic covering the Patriots, and he writes here: um, the maximum value for Blunt is two million. The floor is 140,000, um, which is not bad. Another wrinkle is um, the Patriots have protected themselves should he sustain a season-ending injury in the preseason. By uh, obviously, you guys know um, Blunt had a season-ending hip hip injury at the end of the season last year. Um, so if he ends up on IR again uh, in the preseason, there is a split salary of four hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars that would be paid, and uh, the Patriots could cut ties with him at that point. So they've really kind of built this contract. They they clearly held all the leverage uh, when signing this deal. So. Look, I mean, LeGarrette Blunt, not necessarily my favorite player. I like what he brings. You know what I mean? He's a guy who is a short yardage back, but he's really, that is it. That is all he is. He's not, he's just not two dimensional. He's nothing. You know, he's just that guy who can get you some yards. And there are even times when he can't get that. So, you know, he's good in spurts. There are times when he's great. Um, I think a one-year deal worth a million dollars I think is just about right to sign a guy like LeGarrette Blunt. So, you know, I'm happy with it. I think that the Patriots will still probably go out and draft a running back. I'm not sure what the, you know, we've talked to a couple of people. I'm seeing what the running back class is. Obviously, Ezekiel Elliott is the class of the whole draft. 
He is just a stud. He's going to be fantastic. Prototypical three-down back. Um, he could go as high as the top ten, I think. I personally think he could. He can catch the ball, too. He's great. Um, so there's that. There's also um, the Heisman winner, Derrick Henry. You know, Alabama running backs don't necessarily have uh, the best track record coming into the professional level. Those of you who remember Mark Ingram won the Heisman at Alabama and is now a journeyman running back. Um, who else we got there? Oh, Trent Richardson, who was drafted number three overall. It might be one of the biggest busts in the history of the league. I'm not even sure if he's playing for a team right now. Um, so, I mean, he's got an uphill battle. TJ Yeldon is yet to really show whether he's going to be, you know, have staying power or not. He had a good year last year uh, down in Jacksonville. So, we'll see. I mean, Derrick Henry, he's projected, I think, to go at the end of the first round. That's probably about right. Um, not really sure. I don't know. A, a guy like Zeke Elliott, I think you can take in the first round, top half of the first round. But, you know, running backs at this point, you know, you can get guys late in the third, fourth, fifth round, and they'll be just as good. Perfect example, you know, we were talking about the Arizona Cardinals earlier this uh, in the show. David Johnson was a third-round draft pick um, in the draft last year. Rookie, he was behind two different guys. He was behind Chris Johnson and... Um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the other running backs, uh, running back's name. But um, he was third on the depth chart in Arizona. Two injuries later, he's starting, and he rushed for over 1,000 yards last year. So, I mean, you can get guys later in the draft. You don't necessarily have to spend a first-round pick on a on a running back. And that's what, what I'm thinking in terms of Derrick Henry. I'm not necessarily sure you need to spend a first-round pick on a guy like that. And I would take into account the history of the Alabama running back. I don't know why I would. I think that, you know, maybe Nick Saban works these guys a little too hard. He runs his program like a professional program. And maybe the guys are, you know, they've already taken so many hits. He pounds the ball down in, in uh, Alabama. They run the football all the time because they get the best running backs. Why wouldn't they, right? So, um, I don't know. I, don't nec- I wouldn't necessarily spend a first-round pick on a guy like uh, Derrick Henry, whereas Zeke Elliott, absolutely, absolutely. Um, speaking of the draft, uh, we're going to bring Rich Hill in here in a couple of minutes here. We're going to talk about all things Patriots here, schedule and all that stuff. But we're also going to talk about the draft prospects. And there's a couple guys that I really have my eye on. Obviously, offensive tackle is the number one thing that the Patriots need to go get. I'm not sure what they're going to do about that because from what I've been, I've been reading, you know, there's two kind of quote-unquote can't-miss offensive tackle prospects and they're uh, Laramie Tunsil out of Ole Miss and Ronnie Staley out of Notre Dame and both of those guys are going to be gone early in the first round you know Laramie Tunsil up until recently was projected to be potentially the number one overall pick in the draft and then you've got you know Staley who they they said was going to be you know probably in the middle of the round I mean top 15 something like that so and then after that, I'm not really sure where the offensive tackle prospects are. Obviously, the Patriots don't have a pick until pick 60. So maybe the pickings will be slim at that point. I'm not really sure. But there are two guys that I do have my eye on and guys that I think might be in a position to get drafted by the Patriots. Now, 
One of them is a guy that I'm not entirely sold on in terms of just because of where you're going to have to draft him. But a guy like Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller, Ohio State quarterback, former quarterback, played H-back last year. You can put him in the backfield. You can put him out wide. He's really fast. He's really athletic. He can do a lot of things. And I think he could be a great just utility piece for the Patriots. Now, the thing that I, the question I have is you're going to have to probably draft him in the second round because some team will take him early. You know what I mean? So I'm not necessarily sure that the Patriots are going to want to spend a high enough draft pick on him like that. But the guy that I really have my eye on, the guy that I've really, as I've been you know, reading the, the, the reports and all this stuff, and I keep hearing his name more and more and more, and it's Keenan Reynolds, the quarterback from Navy. Um, he is just, I mean, he's the the... You know, look, quarterback of the Navy football team, you have to be extremely disciplined. I feel like you have to be, you know, a really good player. I think he's I think he could play in the league. He's five foot eleven, 185 pounds. He won't play quarterback, obviously, but look, Julian Edelman was a quarterback in college. And Julian Edelman wasn't one of the you know, a Heisman finalist. You know, Keenan Reynolds had a had a legit argument at the Heisman this past year for a while. So, and that's a Navy quarterback. So, look, we all know Belichick's history with the Navy. He's got a, you know, he's drafted players out of Navy, drafted Joe Cardona last year. You know, his dad, you know, coached at Navy, all this stuff. I think the Patriots go after this kid. I think they're going to try to get him. And whether you draft him in the fifth round, the sixth round, the seventh round, that's kind of the area. I think he was projected, they said, as a sixth or seventh round pick. If you're going to draft him down down there that's that's Julian Edelman territory right I think he could come in and I think he could make an impact on the team just with his athletic ability and I'm sure that I'm sure he's a smart guy you know I'm sure he's a really disciplined guy like I said played at Navy I think that's a guy that they can go out and get late in the draft and I think that'd be a great pickup um, but look it all comes down to offensive tackle I, will they draft a running back? I'm not entirely sure. Like I said, I'm not sure where, you know, what other running back prospects. Like, you know, I, I know I was talking to um, talking to some people um, over the course of the past couple weeks. You know, guys have mentioned guys like Alex Collins out of um, Arkansas. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really see him play that much, so I don't really want to make an opinion on it. But, but we'll see. Um, anyway, let's bring in Rich Hill. Uh, managing editor of patspulpit.com. Uh, the interview with Rich is brought to you by SeatGeek. Uh, have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated. They try to sneak in all these huge fees at checkout, uh, and that's why you need SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Uh, I got the SeatGeek app on my phone. I just used it the other day to look at tickets for the Red Sox. They just got their season going. Uh, I used them, actually, to buy tickets to the Bruins game a couple weeks ago. I mean, the uh, Celtics game a couple weeks ago. And I'm sure I'll be using them for Patriots tickets later on in the year. So um, SeatGeek is great, man. They, they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. Um, they pull all these tickets available on other sites, and they bring them all into one place. So you save time. You never miss a deal. And uh, you can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if the ticket prices fall. So it's a pretty sweet deal. Um, and listen, guys, if you want to get uh, 
a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. All you got to do is download the free SeatGeek app in the uh, App Store or uh, Google Play. Go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code and enter the promo code CELTICSBEAT, which is all one word with no spaces. That's C-E-L-T-I-C-S-B-E-A-T with no space. And then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Pretty good deal, right? So just go ahead and download the free SeatGeek app and enter the promo code CELTICSBEAT today. All right, we are here with the managing editor of patspulpit.com, Rich Hill. Rich, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, obviously, we got a ton of stuff to talk about this week, so let's jump right in. Uh, let's start off with your thoughts on Dominique Easley. Now, personally, for me, I was a big fan of Easley coming out of college, even with the injuries. I love the talent. I love the skill level. Um, I really didn't hear much about the the maturity issues until kind of recently. What do you think about the uh, the release? Yeah, I, I was very surprised by it, too. I, I definitely think that every single person was blindsided. And I know that a lot of the stories didn't really surface until after the facts. I mean, there, there probably were few reasons before the release for anyone to even concern themselves with thinking about, hey, what, what's actually going on with Easley behind the scenes? But I, I think the fact that no team put in a waiver claim on him, that was very surprising to me because, as you said, last year he was extremely productive in the short time that he was on the field. I think Pro Football Focus had him as the, the most productive interior pass rusher in the entire league. So I was surprised a team like the, the Seahawks or some other franchise that felt comfortable with their current standing. Why, I was wondering why they didn't even take a, a shot of that. I, I think that his, a player of his talent and caliber would definitely be worth it. Yeah, and you know, uh, we were hearing stories too that uh, when Belichick drafted Easley, uh, Pete Carroll traded out of the 32nd pick for that very reason because he was trying to get Easley at the end of the first round there. So it is, I agree, it is kind of surprising that no one put in a waiver claim on him. And then, yeah, you said we're hearing all these stories after the fact. We obviously knew about the, the injury issues, but apparently this maturity stuff, he fell on a lot of people's draft boards because of it. Yeah, there was a report on ESPN, I think it was actually last year though, so it was, didn't come out prior to the draft, but... Uh, the ESPN reporter was looking at the Urban Meyer Florida Gators team because they've had so many NFL caliber players come into the league and across the board they've generally flamed out due to character concerns or their inability to, to stay out of trouble and so easily was the class of or the recruiting class of 2010 for the University of Florida which happened to be Urban Meyer's last year and the uh, the report that was came out last year was saying how as of, while Easley was a freshman, he would often complain and miss meetings because he, he didn't feel like he, he felt like he deserved the star treatment. So I, I think that if this reporter was able to get this sort of information, part of my question is what, why weren't the Patriots able to do that? What made them feel like they could change how Easley reacts? And I don't know. I thought that personally was a it was a risk worth taking for the team because watching the tape Easley was undeniably a top talent. But, you know, even with Belichick, you win some and you lose some. Well, theoretically, I suppose you could say the same thing about Aaron Hernandez. Why didn't they, you know, quote-unquote, do their due diligence on Aaron Hernandez? Same same school, same recruiting, same uh, character issues kind of thing. Um, it seems like there's been a couple times when Belichick drafts these guys, and it's actually... You know, now that you mention it, it's kind of been a lot of Urban Meyer's guys that have had these character issues. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I don't want to conflate the two situations, but I, right. I, I think that even with Hernandez, I mean, that no one knew that he would go out and be a murderer, but they did know that there were all these question marks. He dropped in the draft because of them, and I don't know. I, I think that people who Belichick trusts 
they go a long way with how he feels and he can address them in the draft. So whether it's Urban Meyer's guy out of Florida or whether it's Greg Schiano's guy at Rutgers, or even if a player in the draft was vouched for by Josh McDaniels or something like that. And you, you look at the 2006 draft, I, th- I believe Josh McDaniels' brother was working with Loris Maroney at the University of Minnesota, and that's why the Patriots selected him in the first round. So I, I think Belichick, and I, I think that that's, I don't want to say it's a good thing because of the results, but I think it shows that he has trust in the people that he delegates to. And you know what? Sometimes those guys aren't perfect, but Belichick can and will stick by those guys. And, they, you know, for the most part, they do have a pretty good track record. Yeah, um, it, 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 it does seem like the the writing kind of was on the wall with Easley, though. He is kind of a different, like you mentioned, interior pass rusher. The, the Patriots seem to now be moving more back towards the Vince Wilfork body type for the defensive tackle position. They signed Terrence Knighton. Um, I know they just got rid of Chris Jones yesterday, but, you know, the bigger guys, Alan Branch, guys like that, Malcolm Brown, the bigger bodied kind of take up a lot of space in the middle type of guy. Is that what you see too? Yeah, I mean, the the Patriots love having a flexible defensive front anyway, so regardless of whether they're a three-man front or a four-man front, 85% of their snaps last year was... Or they, they, had, they were in the nickel or more, so they had five or more defensive backs on 85% of their snaps last year. So I think the idea of having three defensive linemen, or like a 3-4 or a 4-3, doesn't really matter too much. I think that the general idea is that there's going to be five defensive backs, and then there's going to be two linebackers, two pass rushers, and two guys in the middle. And we saw last year, and even a little bit in the year before that, the team would feel comfortable putting Chandler Jones slightly on the inside in the five-technique spot. And so they, they would try and use him as effectively a 3-4 defensive lineman. It didn't really work in, in 2014. That was what happened when the Dolphins gashed the Patriots in the season opener. So I think that the Patriots have been fiddling around with trying to find the, the right balance between having a heavy enough front and offering that versatility, but I think the addition of Terrence Knighton finding guys like Alan Branch and Malcolm Brown, I think that the team is definitely realizing that maybe if they're not in the 3-4, they need to have those big bodies in order to balance out and help stop the run, because they're, if, even if they're using the I guess the, the adjusted 3-4 front with a standard defensive end playing on the inside, they, they need to have two other defensive linemen that are 320, 340 pounds so they, they can at least have enough meat to stop the run. Do you, I know it's early on, but do you think the, the run defense will be better? I mean, the guys that they've signed, you mentioned Knighton, and then they, they also signed Shane McClellan as an inside linebacker. They re-signed Patrick Chung uh, for two more years, another run-stopping safety type guy. Um, it looks like they're, they're making an effort to make the run defense better because they did get gashed a couple times last year. Yeah, I think they are. Uh, I think part of the issue when it came to Chandler Jones was, was his questionable consistency because when he had it all together, when he was on the field and his, the lights were on, he was undeniably an elite talent. But the fact for him is that he didn't do that on an every snap basis. And I think the difference between his replacement, who's going to be Jabal Sheard, and someone like Chandler Jones, is that while Sheard's ceiling is not the same as Chandler Jones, you know what you get with Sheard. And it's the same sort of idea with what you get with Rob Ninkovich, is that you get a guy who will be above average every single snap, whether it's a run or a pass down. And I think that the Patriots, they're going for greater consistency. They want someone who 
can go out there and they can trust to do their job every single snap. Instead of seeing someone like Chandler Jones, who, you know, he took some risks. He would try and get around on the outside of the offensive tackle, and then there would be a huge gaping hole for the running back to run through. So I, I don't know if the Patriots are necessarily adjusting the, the roster with regards to personnel types to, in order to stop the run, but I do think that there is going to be an increased focus on players that offer the consistency against the run on a regular basis. Yeah, I really do like Sheard. I love the way he plays, and obviously everyone in, in Patriots Nation loves the way Rob Ninkovich plays. So I think having those guys on – I always thought last year that Sheard should be on the field more. He just didn't have a spot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I thought that I, even in, earlier in the year I was arguing for Sheard to replace Rob Ninkovich. But I, I think at the, by the end of the season – I don't think it would be a stretch to say that Nikovich's 2015 season was far better than his 2013 and 2014 years. So my thought is that, you know what, bringing in Chris Long will be very good. I think that Rob Nikovich, he's better when he doesn't have to play 100% of the snaps like he did in those two prior years. You know, put him out there, 80% of the snaps, that's still a lot. But I think that's better, and it keeps him fresher throughout the season. I, I, I really do think that next year that they are going to have a good rotation on there, not even including Trey Flowers, Geno Grissom, even though I have, I have a little theory that Grissom might be asked a little bit to take over for Dominique Easley as that sub-rusher on the inside. I, I think that Belichick loves his versatility, and they could feel comfortable enough slipping him inside on that spot. But I do think that they have the talent there in order to replace Jones and maybe not replace easily one for one. But I, I do like the talent that they have on that line. Uh, moving on, LeGarrette Blunt was re-signed. Um, this one kind of confused me. I, I really thought that they were going... I, I like LeGarrette Blunt. I like what he brings for, you know, for what he brings. But I, I thought they would kind of go, and maybe they still will, go into the draft and, and grab a running back. But the, the move just kind of confuses me. It looks like you're just loading up on running backs that haven't necessarily proven themselves, minus Deion Lewis, who's coming off ACL surgery. Yeah, seriously. No, I think that you look through this roster, and the talent is kind of questionable. I mean, we can go one for one. That You know what you're getting with Blunt. He's at this point in his career where he's not going to get any better. I think that his performance last year is maybe not unnecessarily uh, dissected, but... I think you have to factor in that that offensive line was the worst it's ever been under Bill Belichick. I mean, I don't think that's an exaggeration. That was by far the worst offensive line under Bill Belichick. So you, you saw what Blunt was able to generate. He still put up a 4.3 yards per carry. And when he was gone, the replacements, whether it was Steven Jackson or Joey Yosefa, they averaged like 2.6 or something like that. And so there, I understand that there were other injuries on offense, but Blunt's good for an additional yard per carry over some guy that you can pick up on the street. And I think that the team actually has some hope for Donald Brown. You know, I, I know that football outsiders had Donald Brown as their number two running back in, in 2013. And while he's done absolutely nothing the past two years with the San Diego Chargers, I, I think that maybe the Patriots feel confident that there can be a little bit of a reclamation project there and he, he can provide some value. But I, I think that other than Dion Lewis, you have a bunch of guys who are fine. They're, they're okay. And yeah, if this were any other draft, I'm looking towards 2017 and I'm seeing a lot of running back talent next year. But Looking at this 2016 class, I think that the Patriots are trying to do their best to, to mitigate any risk as you head into the draft because 
I don't know about you, but I, I look at this this draft class, and I mean Ezekiel Elliott, he's clearly a top fifteen talent. I think Derrick Henry is going to end up going at the end of the first round, and then you have Kenneth Dixon. I, I know that I like him, but he has a high fumble rate. I think some other team will fall in love with him and take him in the top 50 or something like that. But outside of those three, I don't really see a running back that I would feel confident to select to either replace Blunt or be good enough to make me not regret missing the running back class in 2017. Yeah, a, cu- a couple guys have mentioned to me Alex Collins out of Arkansas as a, as a potential target, but I agree with you. I think that the running back class is relatively weak this year. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott, I think, is going to be a prototypical three-down back oh, yeah. in the league. I think he's fantastic. He's stud. Oh, yeah, but after that, you're right. I, I think there's really not much going on there. Let's um, let's segue into the draft here. There are two guys. I know, I think everyone can agree that offensive tackle is the position that really needs to be addressed early in this draft. We'll talk about that in a second. But there's two guys that I find kind of interesting, guys that don't have positions, really, guys who were quarterbacks in college, um, Braxton Miller from Ohio State and Keenan Reynolds from Navy, um, I know Keenan Reynolds has been linked to the Patriots. A lot of people are talking about that's a great fit. We obviously know Belichick's history with Navy players. Um, Braxton Miller is, you know, the same kind of player, probably more physically talented. Um, What do you think about those two guys? They're going at two totally opposite spectrums of the draft. Some people have Miller as a first-round pick. Reynolds, not even uh, until the seventh round. What do you think of these two? No, I I think your point on where they currently sit in the draft is very, very important when looking at them because – when I look at the Patriots, whether regardless of what position we're going to find Miller and Keenan Reynolds, I mean, if the Patriots take them, people are going to expect them to be the next Julian Edelman. I think that's that's going to be the base expectation. I think that you look at the Patriots' track record at developing wide receivers that didn't come out of a pro-style offense, and it's not good. They, they have a history of taking the most athletic guys out there, and they just never pan out because they don't have the mental capacity But then on the flip side, I think that Sports Illustrated's Greg Bedard wrote an article talking about how former Patriots offensive coordinator Charlie Weiss wasn't surprised with the fact that Edelman succeeded because as a former college quarterback, he had the ability to not just read a defense, but pick up an offense. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about a player like Braxton Miller in the second round because I look around and I see, you know what, there are players of just as great of a physical ability who have come from offenses in the college that were very good. They were pro style. Whether you you take some guy like Malcolm Mitchell out of Georgia, I know that that's not a traditional uh, pro style offense, but they put him out there. Leontay Carew out of Rutgers, even Sterling Shepard. He ran a lot of serious routes there. And I know that I think I just listed three spread offenses, but (laughs) those (laughs) those players have run defined routes that will help them when they come to the NFL and Braxton Miller has none of that. And so, therefore, I think that a second-round pick for a guy who's just going to be a total project, I don't, I don't know what, what you would think on this, but if I took a guy like Braxton Miller, I wouldn't expect him to be a, a viable starter until year, the end of year two at the very, very earliest. You would need someone in your system for at least a year. And investing a second-round pick in a guy who can't play right away just doesn't sit well with me. I think that's definitely fair, and you're probably right on that. I do think that, you know, things I'm just thinking of, like, in my head, thinking, wow, it would be great if, you know, if they're on the team. I'm thinking things like Wildcat. I'm thinking, you know, halfback passes. You can line them up in the backfield as your H-back. He did a lot of that at Ohio State. Um, same thing with Keenan Reynolds. I think, you know, like you said, the athleticism 
of both of these guys. And, you know, they did both play quarterback. I feel, you know, specifically for Keenan Reynolds, I think you, you, you have to be a pretty disciplined individual to play quarterback for the Navy football team. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I do, as a, maybe Braxton Miller, that would be a reach. I agree with you. But I think Keenan Reynolds in the seventh round, if he lasts yeah. that long and you can grab him there, I think that's a no-brainer. Oh, I definitely agree with that. And I think that that's what the sixth and seventh rounds are for. It's for players that... You know, maybe they're not as polished as everyone else, but you think that they have a high upside, and there's no higher upside than some guy who's the like, the national or the college football leader in career touchdowns. I mean, that's as high upside as you can get right there. And so, I don't know. I think Belichick, first and foremost, he's dedicated a lot of research into investing, or a lot of uh, capital in investing into Keenan Reynolds and the pre-draft prospect. I think pretty much every single Patriots coach has gone down and met with him to see what he brings. And, you know, Belichick loves Navy. His dad has a library named after him at the school. So Belichick's definitely going to take care of him. And I think we saw last year with Joe Cardona when the Patriots took the long snapper in the fifth round. I would not be surprised if the Patriots found themselves with a fifth-round pick to took Keenan Reynolds because I think if the Patriots want a guy from Navy or one of these military schools, they're going to have to invest a high enough draft pick in order for that player to go back to the military and say, hey, I'm a valued commodity in this one, and I can do a better job marketing for this this entity than I can doing something else. And I think that was one of the issues with Cardona is that the Patriots couldn't take him in the sixth or seventh round because that might not have been enough to justify to Navy that, you know what, he, he can take the year off in order to play football because that's better off. So I, th- I think that if the Patriots want Reynolds, and I do honestly think they do, they like him a lot. They think that even if he can't do something as a rookie, he can eventually become something that I, I think that they would have to use a fifth round pick on him at the least. And it just so happens that they have plenty of picks in that area, right? They got a ton of picks that, they, you know, some of them that they can't trade those compensatory picks. Um, there's a lot of area to move around, move up in the draft and kind of make some things happen. I think, I think you're right. I think they're going to go after him. Oh, definitely. And I, I know the Patriots, they currently have a pick gap between 96 and 196, where they have zero picks at all. So they, they have four picks in the top 100, and then they have no picks in the next 100. So I, I think that the Patriots are going to trade down from one of those top four selections, add another fourth or fifth, and then use that one on Reynolds. All right, and let's talk about uh, offensive tackle. I think, you know, from from everything I've been reading, there's two can't-miss tackle prospects, quote-unquote. Laramie Tunsil out of Ole Miss, and then uh, I believe his name is Ronnie Staley out of Notre Dame. Yep. Um, those guys will be gone in the top 15, top 20, no question about it. So, you know, I'm I'm not one to say that I know who the, the third, fourth, and fifth offensive tackle prospects in the draft are. So who who are the Patriots looking at? Because this, this is a position that needs to be addressed. Yeah, seriously, and I, I think that that's kind of a problem where they don't have a first-round pick because <laughs> this is that would be the spot where they would take them because this isn't a very good class at offensive tackle. So so beyond Tunsil, as you said, who was a candidate to go first overall before the Rams just traded up there, he's still a top-five lock, as most would expect. Ronnie Staley, as you said, top 15, top 20. Uh, Jack Conklin out of Michigan State. Taylor Decker out of Ohio State. Jason Spriggs out of Indiana. All those guys are expected to go off the board in the top 40. So that's your, your big five guys. And then after that, there's no one really good enough to step in year one. I, I think Jermaine Effetti, I, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, is coming out of Texas A&M. He's not as good as some of the other players that have come out of there uh, in, in the past. I know that they've had a few early round picks in the Jokels. Um, but I, I think that 
Fetty is going to go top 40 as well, top 50 at the least. And then beyond that, I mean, you have Sean Coleman out of Auburn. Some people like him. I, I, I don't see as high a ceiling on him as some others. I think that he's, he'll be fine in the pros. I don't know if he's going to offer as much value above some other guys that you can get later in the draft. But I think he'll be fine. He's a little more ready than the other people. But, again, coming out of Auburn, they run the most bizarre offense you'll ever see. So who knows what his transition will be. And that's kind of the name of the game with the the offensive tackle prospects outside of those big fives. I mean, A&M runs the spread, so that's a Fetty right there. Auburn runs like a triple option spread something or other, so that you don't know what Coleman's going to do. Uh, LaRaven Clark out of Texas Tech, he admitted at the combine that he rarely ever, ever, ever played out of the three-point stance with his hand on the ground, except for in short yardage situations, and so he has no experience in the pro-style offense. And those are your next three guys, and Fetty Coleman and, and Clark, and those would be the targets for the Patriots potentially at the end of the third, or sorry, at the end of the second round. But I, I think that, in all honesty, the there's not that big of a difference between those guys, other than the fact that they went to these big name schools, versus some guys that you could get at the end of the third round. What, whether it's Joe Haig coming out of uh, one of the Dakotas, he I think won four straight conference or national titles and at the FCS series over the span of five years or something like that. And you have some talented players there that have a lot of upside, but they wouldn't be ready to contribute in year one. And so if I were the Patriots, I would look more to those types of players in the in the third round just because you have to save your draft capital because they don't really have a first-round pick this year. So with that, you know, what do you think? Does that mean that maybe you wait until the draft happens, maybe some players on other teams get released, you could grab a tackle that way and maybe save it, save the draft pick, drafting a tackle for maybe next year when the draft class is a little better and you can draft a little higher? Or is it just kind of grab whoever you can grab and try to integrate them into the, into the scheme? Because, I mean, ta- injuries happen. We saw it last year. The offensive line was decimated and you had, you know, Adrian Waddle playing left tackle for you. So, yeah, no, it's it's that's a serious problem for the Patriots with both Volmer, who's 32 years old, and Marcus Cannon, who is a turnstile last year. Those both are going to be free agents, so the right tackle spot, no one really knows. Uh, Adrian Waddle, he'll possibly back. He signed a two-year contract this offseason. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions there. Marcus Cannon has this huge cap hit this year that either he's going to have to restructure in order to stay. I wouldn't be surprised if within that restructure the Patriots bought themselves another year with him to see if they, if Dante Scarnecchia can fix him in any way. Because I do think that they liked Cannon, and last year their hoping was an anomaly thanks to his turf toe. But if Cannon can come back under a restructured contract, maybe that'll buy the team a year if they don't find anyone. So I, I think that the fact that Cannon is still on the roster, and this also applies to Danny Amendola at wide receiver, that I think the Patriots are going to play the draft, see if any viable talent falls down, and if they do, then the Patriots can feel free to cut ties with these players. If they don't, then the Patriots can restructure the contracts, buy themselves some extra time, and then readdress the position next year. But I, I think that... Yeah, and if maybe a player like Spriggs or Conklin or Decker falls out of the first round and into the middle of the second round, maybe the Patriots will want to trade up. That's still a possibility. I wouldn't take it off the table, but I I think that there is a very low chance of that happening. There's certainly plenty of options. Draft is a a week from Friday. We're we're very excited coming up on the draft. Um, So let's talk about the schedule. Schedule was released the other day. 
Uh, Patriots, we knew who, who they were playing. Now we know when they're playing. Uh, they got five primetime games, including Sunday night to open the season, week one, uh, against the Arizona Cardinals, who now have Chandler Jones. Uh, what do you think about the schedule as a whole? It looks like it might be pretty, you know, you have the, the NFC West, you have the AFC North, some solid, solid groups of teams. What do you think about uh, maybe a win total or, you know, how they're going about the uh, the season this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's going to be a pretty tough schedule. They, they're at the Cardinals, who are good. They're at the Steelers, who are good. At the Broncos, who, even if they don't have a quarterback, they're still going to be good, and they always give the Patriots trouble there. So if, if the Patriots have three losses on the year, I would not count those out. And then again, you, they're hosting the Seahawks, they're hosting the Bengals, and then they're also hosting the Ravens, who... You know, that I know that they're really battered and they don't really have a great roster at this point in time, but the Ravens, they always play the Patriots tough as well. So I, I think that looking at the floor, this is a 10-win season for the Patriots. I, I would expect more in the lines of another 12-4 and four season. I think that's a pretty fair projection for them. But I, I think that what interests me a lot is that the Patriots have finally a Week 9 bye. Last year, Week 4 was awful. But they, they also are at home for four of the first six games. I think that... The Patriots, I know, they, they have five away games, or sorry, four away games sort of baked around their bye week. So I, I think that the Patriots are going to kind of be exhausted before their final stretch. But I don't know, I, I think that this is pretty standard schedule. They have good teams at the front, good teams at the back. There's definitely room towards the end of the season. I know that you said that they have five primetime games, but they're, they're week 15. They're in Denver. If Denver's in the playoff hunt, that could easily be flexed. Same with the Jets game week 16, and then maybe the Dolphins turn it around. The, the league changed the rules this offseason that even if a team has had the, the limit of six primetime games, uh, the, the week 17 games can be flexed to, to make a, an even greater number of seven primetime games. I, the Patriots have to be hoping that the Dolphins aren't in contention. But, yeah, I think looking at that back stretch, that's going to be very, very brutal for the Patriots, and you know they can't be looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Week 9 bye, and it really, honestly, this the way the schedule is set up couldn't come at a better time. I mean, you have Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, then at Pittsburgh, at Buffalo before the bye. Then you come out of it and you host Seattle, then travel to the West Coast for San Francisco, and then a primetime game at New, the New York Jets. So that is a tough, you know, six, seven-week stretch right there as it is. Then you mentioned, you know, that Denver guy, I cannot see that Denver game not being in primetime. Right. Um so, I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough haul. They're obviously going out to Los Angeles this year. Uh, I'm sorry, they're hosting Los Angeles Yep. Um, this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, the schedule, I agree with you. I think it's pretty evenly balanced out. I think the, the front half of the schedule will definitely be, you know, at Arizona, at Pittsburgh, even at Buffalo. That'll be a tough game before the bye. Um, all Sunday night games. Oh, by the way, what do you think of um, the, the NFL deciding to stream games live on Twitter on Thursday nights? Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know how they're going to try and do that. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to integrate it because I don't. If people are going to watch it on their phones. I'm sure that's going to be a huge data eater, and then you just find it online. I don't. I don't know what they're going to do. It depends on how they're going to package it. I can definitely see them finding a way to to put up some tweets that are going and use that as the commentary alongside the game. But, I don't know. I, I, the page, or sorry, the NFL just seems really excited that the games are not only going to be on NBC or CBS. It's not only going to be on the NFL Network. They're going to have three different platforms carrying this these games, and 
maybe they, I don't know why they want Twitter to do it. I don't, they had better offers from some other entities, but they decided to go with Twitter. So I'm sure that the, the league has a plan for it. And I honestly have no idea what's going to come of it. I was thinking the same thing. I know I saw that they had, you know, Google Plus and Amazon Prime were trying to get in on that. I, I thought a, a streaming service like that, maybe even a Netflix in some crazy capacity, could could do do a better job of doing it than than Twitter. I you, I think you'd have to get a, a totally different page for Twitter. There'd have to be a Twitter video type thing. It'd probably have to be a whole different app. I'm I'm not sure how they're gonna do it. I agree with you, but um, they paid a lot of money for it. That's yeah. probably why they got it. So. Yeah, no, and I, I think that you look at the entities that Twitter has. I mean, they have Vine, so I can see that being an easy thing for the highlights to get blasted. They also have Periscope, which is a, a live streaming entity, so maybe they're going to try and get more people on that platform. But, yeah, as you said, I have no idea what they're going to do with this. It's just a cash grab, and they, they're probably happy to just get all the money they can get. Nothing new in the world of the NFL, right? <laughs> all right. Uh, Rich Hill, managing editor of patspulpit.com. Check him out on Twitter at pp underscore rich underscore hill. Uh, rich, thanks a lot. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'm sure we'll have you on the show again sh- soon. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Great stuff from Rich Hill, managing editor of patspulpit.com. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, as I mentioned, at pp underscore rich underscore hill. Uh, real quick, I got to get out of here in a couple minutes, guys. But I just wanted to mention, you know, the big, the other big piece of news in in terms of the NFL draft. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams traded up to get the number one overall pick. They traded something like six draft picks away. Um, they didn't trade away as much as Washington traded away a couple years ago to get RG three. But as that strategy showed us, that is not really the way to go. It's not. It's. I mean, look. Maybe it's just me. I don't really personally have very high opinions of Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. I'm not really sure. You know, Jared Goff has is not a very accurate quarterback. He did not play on very good football teams at Cal. Um, you know, he did play in a great conference, but I'm not sure about that. Then Carson Wentz played at a small time school. Sure, they were the best team at that. In you know, in that whole division, there they won five straight. You know, Division two national championships. But he did play in Division Two football. You know what I mean? That talent discrepancy from coming to the NFL, that's going to be a lot to handle for a young, you know, number one overall pick quarterback. And look, I, and the reason why I mention these two quarterbacks is it's, it's, you don't trade up to the number one overall pick if you're not drafting a quarterback at that spot. Like, it's not like there's some prospect out there that's like so unbelievably ridiculous that someone's going to need to trade up and get him. So these this team is trading up to get a quarterback and... I think they're acting a little desperate. I don't have very high opinions of either one of those guys. But, look, guys, I wish I could get more in-depth in it, but we're running out of time here. Um, I'm, I'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. We'll be talking again after the drafts. Very exciting stuff. The Patriots with their 11 draft picks. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do. In my opinion, I, I hope they go out and get Keenan Reynolds. I really do. Um, we'll see what happens. But, look, we'll talk in a couple weeks. In, in the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Patriots underscore Beat. You can also follow my personal account on Twitter at M underscore Alonji. Uh, be sure to go ahead and check us out at CLNS Radio. Follow the mother station as well. Lots of great stuff over there. Check us out, clnsradio.com. And uh, listen, guys, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Be sure to tune in for the draft. It's next Friday night, April 28th. And I'll talk to you the week after. See you guys later.